Welcome to episode 376 of the Reform Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. You know, I'm I'm really happy to announce in this new year, this the year of our Lord 2024, that our podcast has finally reached a form of epic fame. I know this because to prevent a long story from unfolding, which is really our jam anyway, but to prevent that from really unfolding, like some parts of North America today, on the day that we're recording, we've experienced like a pretty large volume of snow that's happened throughout the day. And in the course of that, we've been in touch with a landlord who is going to come and plow us out as we've tried to shovel our way out of our walkway and to prepare for our cars being released from all this snow. And I say this all because right before I started to record with you, right before we sat down and started talking, uh, my wife, who does not listen to the podcast, maybe you can find her online somewhere and let her know that she should listen. But <laughs> she says that the landlord had said like, listen, I'm going to come at eight o'clock, which is somewhere probably around the time that we will still yet be recording. And my wife said to me, and this is more or less a, a direct quote. She said, so I'm going to be down here waiting for him to come. And I'm going to hear something like, welcome to the reformed blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then the plow is going to show up. <laughs> nice. The reformed blah, 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 blah. So she's not wrong. That's more or less accurate, but these are the constraints we have. Listen, we record in real life. There's no safety net. Things happen around us. And if you've somehow at any point thought, wow, this sounds like so professional. There's plowing happening. There's children <laughs> in the background. The world is going on, loved ones. And yet we stay focused and committed. And I have no reason to believe that episode 376 is not going to be unlike all the ones that preceded it. You're just going to get quality content. At least that's what we hope, right? We try. I mean, we try to do quality content. I guess like people watch, listen to the show. So it's good. It's all good. We'd make it even if people didn't, even if Jesse and I were the only subscribers, although our, our uh, sound quality might not be as great, but uh, I, th I think we'd probably still make the show. But yeah, people seem to like the show, which is it's great. It's true. So I, again, I want to just emphasize my lovely wife and just affirm her by saying, welcome to the reform, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so with that being said, let's affirm and deny a couple things as we start this whole episode. And we're starting a series, by the way, we're talking about the armor of God, which lest anybody think that like the telegram chat, which you can hang out in by going to t.me backslash reform brotherhood or the emails by our emailing info at reformbrotherhood.com. Totally forgot what that was for a second. Lest anybody think that we don't listen or see or read all those things we do. And this topic itself came from an idea from a listener. And I think it's fantastic. So we're going to be doing a series on the armor of God, which will start tonight. But before we do that, and of course, before the plow comes and my wife wishes that I was out there shoveling with her, what are you affirming on this episode? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, do two affirmations. One of them is a little bit of a jokey one. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think, Maybe we need to start doing video podcasting because one of the things the listeners miss is every every time we record, there's this same little cadence, right? Jesse says, welcome yeah. to the Reformed Brotherhood. And I say, I'm Tony, Society of Reformed Podcasters. And then yeah. Jesse and I, and this this started on like episode like four or five. <laughs> we do this little head bob thing where we pause between yeah. where I say, I'm Tony and welcome, blah, 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 blah. And then when Jesse, or when I say, hey, brother, 
And that started because we used to not know how to edit podcasts. And so we did this right. little head bob to kind of like give ourselves some time between when we talk. It's not really necessary anymore, but we still do the little head bob and nobody gets to see it. So maybe I'll see like when we record, we we record our Google Meet session where we're talking and the, it's the videos there. Maybe I'll try to pull just that part of the video. Might be one of my favorite parts of the podcast is that little that little head bob dance that we do. It's oh. great. We usually go to the same side. It's true. And we've never actually coordinated that. But it is, I think you've referenced this before. It's the Charlie Brown dance that happens bit, yeah. during the Christmas special. It's that side to side kind of yeah. dancey kind of bob. It's great. It's got the correct rhythm. It's got the correct correct meter and vibe. So maybe somebody else will be able to use this in their course of life as well. I highly recommend. Yeah. Only on the Reformed Brotherhood could we talk about a, a head bob that nobody has ever seen for like five minutes. That's, that's so my true. actual affirmation, it's funny because we don't usually do much in the way of a pre-show uh, conference, but it, it turns out that Jesse and I were actually like affirming the same thing tonight without, without even knowing it. Uh, and this actually actually happens more frequently than you would think, but I'm affirming something that Jesse brought up quite a little bit ago. I don't know. It was maybe like five or six episodes ago. We had a couple affirmations related to budgeting software. And one of the things that my wife and I are trying for the new year is the YNAB methodology. So there's the, you need a budget. It's YNAB.com. And they offer you a 34, a 34 day free trial. Uh, and then it's, I don't even know what the cost is after that. I think it's like a hundred dollars a year. I'm not sure what that breaks yes. down to per month, but you can do the free trial. They don't even make you put a credit card in. So they couldn't, they right. couldn't charge you even if they wanted to. Um, and you can't forget to cancel cause there's no credit card. So, um, I, I loaded it up and I gotta say like, this is a really, really slick system. So it's, it's almost hard to explain how the system works. They've basically taken like a cash envelope model of budgeting, which is maybe like the most basic, straightforward style of budgeting where you just, you figure out how much money you need each month and you have an envelope for each category. You just put money in the envelope uh, and you only spend cash. They've taken that and they've basically digitized it. But what's really slick is you you put in there when you need the funds by each month. So like I can put in that I need a certain amount of money for my phone bill and I need it by this day in the month. And then it will automatically pull funds and like allocate your funds. So it looks at like your bank account and sees how much, how much money you have in your bank account. It automatically allocates those and it will allocate the funds to the, to the uh, buckets that need it based on the dates. So I'm not going to say the values, but like my phone bill is already paid for this month and my internet bill is not. And so it automatically allocates money out of my out of my main checking account bucket. It's allocated that to the internet bill rather than phone bill because it knows that I have more time to build up funds for my phone bill than I do for my internet bill. So it's really, really sweet. The welcome, uh, the welcome like wizard that walks you through creating your initial budget, explaining how the software works was really, really easy to use. And there's no downside to trying it. There's like, that was what I was most impressed by. <clears throat> so Jesse and I have talked about how like the subscription model of apps is really annoying. And I would rather, I would rather pay a single time fee or like a lifetime fee than just pay a monthly subscription. But when a when a product is confident enough that they will give you 
the free trial without like all of the normal hooks they usually try to, to scam you out of that first month by auto renewing and stuff, you can tell they're confident that they have a good product and they're interested right. in not and like not ripping you off. So I was a little bit skeptical when Jesse first brought it up, but now that I've actually logged in, created an account, it's really, really easy to use. And January is a good time to start a budget. It's a new year. It's just kind of a time to start fresh. So if you're not using a budgeting software, I would I would really recommend that you check this out. It's really, really easy to use. Yeah, and we should say that part of the great advantage of like these kinds of software in YNAB in particular, among others, which is going to be my affirmation in just like 30 seconds, is that what a time to be alive where like what these softwares do is they import or ingest all of your transactions yeah. if you allow them to. So in one place in an omnibus, you can have your credit card, you can have your debit card, like all your transactions there. Yeah. So it can start to really do a, a really thorough and a rigorous analysis on everything you're spending, categorize it, help you to understand it. The old adage is true because it is always true. You cannot manage what you cannot measure. So just by bringing that into a place where it's all collected and aggregated for you, you're going to get better insight. And that's like a really super awesome thing. So it might sound like too intense, but I'm with you. Just try it out. And like at the end of 34 days, you're like, it's not my jam. That's okay because you actually haven't lost a single thing. Yeah. And what's what I really like about it too is um, it's, it's very much... Um, like I've used budgeting software in the past that almost feels like it's judging you. And YNAB is very neutral, like very yeah. much. It it just basically asks you questions about what, what obligations you have, how much money you need. You can create your own custom categories. So it's got all the defaults in there, groceries, emergency fund, phone, internet, whatever. But I can, like I added a category for my tithe and basically was able to say like, this is how much I I set aside for tithe each month. And right. it's smart enough to know that I don't need to set aside the entire month's the the entire month's budget worth of tithe, like ahead of time. It knows that I can just accumulate that week by week. Yes, screw it. Um, and it hasn't, you know, it hasn't. The other thing I'm really impressed by is it it pulls in the information from your bank in almost real time. So I went yes. grocery shopping today, and it's already pulled in the uh, transaction from my grocery bill this afternoon. Um, and is already asking me where to allocate those funds to. And this is where I think it's really strong versus some other budgeting software. When I go over budget on something, which obviously at this point, I'm just playing around with the settings and at some point I'll have to set up the real budget. But when you go over budget on something, it's not going to just allow you to go over budget. It's going to ask you where in your budget you want to pull that money from. Right. And that's, that's, that's where it's like replicating the cash the cash envelope model is it's going to say, all right, you've, you've overspent this category by $50 or hundred dollars, whatever it is. You need to pull that money from some other budget item. And when it actually like walks you through the process, it pulls up all of your other funded budget items and asks you where you want to pull that money from. And then it will, uh, it'll attempt to sort of like balance that out over the next course of the, this like cycle. So if you have it set up to say like, I need a thousand dollars, by May for a vacation that we're taking, it may pull out money out of that uh, money you've allocated for vacation in order to like balance your current right. budget, but it will then recompensate how much it's asking you to dedicate to those uh, buckets 
in order to catch back up to that $1,000 you've said for May. And obviously, like if you're spending more money than you're bringing in, these numbers will never balance. But what it's trying to do is it's trying to help you see and move the money around in real time. Obviously, this is all on paper. It's not really moving money around. But it's trying to help you shuffle between these different buckets in ways that still keeps the money flowing to the places it needs to go without actually having to like go to the bank and take the cash out and put it in envelopes, which is the hardest part of an envelope system is you have to actually like figure out how many twenties to get out of the bank or like out of the ATM. And then you have to divide it up into buckets. It's just really cumbersome. So it's not going to be the perfect solution for everybody, but it, it is really, really easy to use. I'm really, really impressed by it. And I think since it's a, a like a legitimate no risk trial, you're not even having to put in a credit card. Actually, I think you could probably, if you really wanted to, you could probably delete your account and start a new account every month and be able to use it perpetually. But the strength of it is going to be using it month over month and it being yeah. able to allocate things. And I'm sure that once you get past your first month, there's analytics to show you like, all right, last month you had yes. budgeted this X amount of money for this category, but you actually spent this amount of money. Do you want to adjust your budget? I'm sure the strength is going to be using it, you know, month over month and seeing those trends. But I really, really firmly believe when a product is willing to let you try it for free and not try to hook you or try to scam you, that actually speaks really well of the product because it means they really feel like they've got something quality to offer and they're not afraid of letting you try it without risk. And, and that's like the thing, there's no risk to trying it. So if you're, if you're not familiar with using a budget or if you've been using a very casual budget and you want to use something a little bit more rigid, which is never a bad thing. It's not necessary for everybody, but it's not a bad thing. Then I would say, check out YNAB. It's a really, really slick program. Yeah, for sure. So let me just, uh, I'm just going to dovetail into that by way of my own affirmation. So at, at like the risk of this becoming like the reform, blah, 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 finance cast. <laughs> so I, I actually wrote down anticipation for this episode, like a list, because I thought this is the last time we'll bring this up. So for everybody that's like tired of hearing Jesse talk about budgeting apps and wondering why I'm talking about them. So just reiterate, the reason why this is top of mind for many people is because mint.com, which for so long have been like a free way to as create an omnibus for all your transactions across like multiple banks or credit or you know credit cards to bring that in to analyze the credit budget, it's going away. And that's like 3.6 million users. Yeah. So there are lots of people online all over the interwebs that are trying to determine what is going to be the thing that they use going forward because for so long they've used this free service and have been fantastic and it really helped them and changed their lives, quite honestly, with what you're talking about. So I created this like one final list. I'm just going to rattle through it real quick because you've already hit them all along the major points. So here's a couple of different apps. You can hear these apps, write them down, go back to what I just said, search them out yourselves and find the one that works best for you. So you already talked about why not we don't need to go there. Probably like the most comprehensive that's fun. If you're looking for something like more simple, there's one called Simplify, which really is like a, a very simple version of this. There's a less, lot, lot, lot less features, but also is less expensive. If you really like, uh, I would say like Microsoft Excel or Google Sheets, there's something called Tiller, which is like a hybrid between you do it online, but it creates a spreadsheet for you that's automatically connected and it's super fun and you can do your budgeting that way. So it's like kind of a hybrid approach. If you have investment accounts, you're like, well, listen, I have a budget, but I also want to bring like my budget in with my investment accounts, then Empower, which I referenced before, that's just like empower.com. You can go check that out. 
Uh, if you're the kind of person that's like, listen, in 2024, what I want to do, my priority is to pay down debt, then I have an app or approach for you, which is explicitly focused or tilted toward that way. And that would be Pocket Guard. So if you search for Pocket Guard, you're going to find that this is a budgeting app, but with a emphasis on how can I make sure that I kind of snowball or pay down this debt. If you're the kind of person that wants to partner with your spouse and you want something free, Honeydew, H-O-N-E-Y-D-U-E, is another app which allows you to kind of have a simplistic budgeting model, but you get to share it with a user and that's entirely free. Last but not least is Monarch, which I referenced before. That's a little bit of everything. It's kind of like YNAB, you need a budget, but what it also allows you to do is either to add a significant other like a spouse or, and this is unique, to add like if you had another party, a third party in particular that you were working with, but you didn't trust entirely, it would give them access to all the budget you set up, but without explicit understanding of like your actual account numbers and everything else. They could see what you set up, but they would have like that paternal libertarianism to like help you and support you in that process. So all that to say, go back and listen to everything I just said. There's lots of options out there. It'll be the last time I bring it up, but the affirmation is find something that helps you plan so you can do these three things in this order. Earn, save, give. If you do that and you can use these tools, it's worth, as you just said, Tony, paying for these tools because that means that you're not the product. The product is the thing that they're actually offering you rather than like taking your information, using it in some way or selling you advertisements or selling your information to other people, which happens a lot in the financial space. This is a way for you to just get a, a more firm control over the way in which you spend your money and the ways in which you use your money and then the ways in which you can save and then give with this profound direction of saying, listen, I want to be a good steward and a great fiduciary of all that God has given me. And in many ways, that starts with our checking accounts. That is a great testimony. Somebody should be able to go online, look at your checking account register, look at all the transactions and get a sense of who you are from that. Of course, they would be able to just by pulling it down. So this is a challenge and admonition to all of us to say, let's use that for the glory of God. And these tools can help us to do that because it's just so easy to get caught up in life and not have a sense of what's going on in our own worlds, even with our own money. So let's do it right. Let's get after it in this year. Let's determine that we're going to give more to missions and more to the cause of Christ and save more for our families and get rid of extraneous expenses and do more of the things we're spending our money in such a way that it brings a value into our lives. Worship God celebrates the great gifts that he's given us and brings us a greater sense of joy because we're doing it with great knowledge and understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add one other thing too, is um, in addition to mint shutting down, which is um, quite honestly, is a pretty significant thing. You're right. There's a, a huge ton of people that use it. Um, also, the bill pay service that I've always used or used since Mint stopped offering actual bill pay services uh, is called Prism. Prism is also shutting down. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of upset in sort of the financial app world, and and I think that causes problems for people. So just being really honest, like I've struggled because for so long I've used Prism as like my bill pay reminder. And all of a sudden, different services stopped dropping off, started dropping offline with Prism. And it's like all of a sudden, I'm not sure when my bills are even due. So it's a good time. The first of the year is always a good time to sort of reset. Yes, the months are arbitrary. The beginning of the year is somewhat arbitrary. But it is it is what it is. It's a new calendar year. 
it's always a good time to kind of reset and think about how do you want to run things for the next year. And whether you use YNAB or Monarch or, or you know, if you're a Mint user, Monarch and YNAB both have special like import modules where you can just click a button right. and sign into your Mint account and it will import yes. everything. Um, but even if you're not, it's just a good time to check these services out. Because like Jesse is saying, we can't, you can't make progress in something that you're not actually keeping track of, right? Um, you know, I was listening to, uh, actually, I think it was in my Daily Stoic uh, book that I was reading, but one of the Stoic, I don't remember the exact quote, but one of the Stoic philosophers said something basically like, if you don't know where you're going, you never know if you got there, right? right. Like, you can't ask for, this is the way that it gets sort of paraphrased, like, you can't ask for directions if you're not, if you don't know where you're going. And and I think financially, in order for us to be able to give more or to utilize our finances better, we have to start with understanding how we're actually utilizing our finances now. And then we can go to, all right, what is the goal for how we want to utilize our finances? So if I had a goal, I, this isn't a goal that I have, but if, if I had a goal of donating $5,000 to the church this year above and beyond my normal tithe, I could do that or I could at least make progress towards doing that if I had a budget where that was built into it. Right. And for me, that's where the strength of YNAB really is, is that you can set up these goals and target dates and it will automatically tell you like how much do you need to associate of your overall financial picture to reach that goal. And if you get off track, it adjusts automatically. I think that's the biggest strength is like if you miss a month, or if an unexpected bill comes up and you have to draw money out of a out of a bucket to cover that bill, the whole system automatically reallocates everything in order to get you back on track without a lot of actual uh, direct thought on your part. And I just think that that's really strong. Like this is an what a time to be alive, right? This is like our recurring <laughs> our recurring like war cry here is what a time to be alive where you don't you don't necessarily have to think about the how do I get there. With something like YNAB or other budgeting software, you really only have to think about where do I want to get? And the software really helps you to understand how do I get there? You don't have to really think about that yourself. So yeah, I think we've probably hammered that into the ground enough, but I really do think that it's a strong, it's a strong enough affirmation that it's now been multiple shows, multiple hosts, multiple different aspects to it. I think it's worth checking out. It's totally free. There's no risk. There's no commitment. I really do think it's a great product. Yeah. Some, somehow we'll get them to sponsor us and say like, listen, the spiritual principles that you have embedded in your software are so common grace that really you're reformed anyway. And it should be like reformed. Why now? But I'm with you. And the thing that the last thing I'll say, and of course, this is the last time I'll bring it up is this is a great time to take advantage of those. Of course, something that I'm about to say is very time sensitive, but Monarch for instance, and you go to monarchmoney.com because all these these different apps know that they have this reservoir of users that are searching for options. There have lots of deals. If you go to Monarch Money, you can get 50% off that first year by just using a code. Anybody can get that. And it's $100 normal price, but 50% off that. So you're at debt $49.99. So there's a lots of, this is a great time because there's lots of different offers out there. So even if you thought yourself as a person like, listen, we, we handle our money like it's in the back of my mind somewhere, like 
that might be fine, but you know what would be better is actually having a plan. Yeah. And like it, you would spend, I think, easily a hundred dollars, like have somebody guide you in other areas of life. You'd spend that much to have a mechanic look at your car to diagnose like the error code that's coming through that your your car's computer system. This is all the better because, like you said, Tony, if you have goals and you ought to have goals, and, and really everybody has goals impounded in their life, and those goals require financial means of some kind. This is the best way to say, let's get after it. But like, if you're like me and I work in finance, like when I come home, I don't want to do this stuff all the time. So like vouchsafe it, broker it to somebody else. It's worth the money, loved ones. And it's a small nominal fee, I would say, that's going to pay dividends to you. If only because like you'll go to bed at night knowing that like, listen, we got a plan. And as things unfold, like we talked about, as, as God moves in our year, as things change, that while he's sovereignly in control of all these things, we're doing the best that we can moment by moment to plan for what we want to do so that we're not victims of our circumstances, especially financially, but we're doing the best we can to plan proactively for things as they change with specific goals in mind. So as you can hear in my voice, like I'm always super stoked about this because in my view, you should have like a really good doctor you you trust, a really good um, mechanic and a really good banker. So hopefully you have all those things and this can fit into the last one fairly well. It's true. It's true. All right. Let's do, do you have some, I'm going to betray my cards here if that's a saying. So I just have like a second affirmation. Do you have a denial? Because I know obviously that's the pattern. I do. And it's ironic because you mentioned the the snow that you guys have now been somewhat buried by. So there's a different phenomena that happens in New Hampshire where the newscast basically tries to tell you that the world is going to end and we're all going to die covered (laughs) in a tomb of snow. And it almost never is actually as bad as they make it sound. So we've been hearing now for days that like, we're going to get destroyed by this huge snowstorm. And, uh, you know, I was hearing estimates of like 12 inches and now the forecast is six inches Probably when I wake up tomorrow, they're going to be like, you might see some snowflakes, maybe if you look carefully. (laughs) So what I'm denying is snow alarmism. Mm. Now, that's not to say, and and I I understand why there tends to be an emphasis on the riskiness of snow uh, predictions, why they tend to like lean towards the catastrophic in their predictions, because in New England, uh, unless we pretend that the snow is going to kill us all. People act as though it's no big deal. And snow, snowstorms, winter storms really can be quite a big deal and, and we have to prepare for them. So I think it's kind of like that over promise under deliver, which is the wrong way to do it, but that's how they do it for snow because they want you to feel like maybe it's an emergency. So you act like maybe it's an emergency, but there's also this alarmist side of it where it's like we act as though we're all going to get covered in 15 feet of snow. And then the whole state shuts down. Everybody, we buy all of the eggs and all of the milk and all of the bottled water that every store has (laughs) and just sits in our refrigerator and spoils. Um, I'm just denying that snow alarmism. Because I know like I've even heard of churches in the area that have already decided to cancel their services for tomorrow uh, based on the projected snow. And it's likely it's, it's likely not to be as bad as they've said it's going to be because that tends to be how it goes. So, and and this isn't me casting shade on churches that decide to cancel their services because of weather. Like I think 
if it's not safe to travel to the church, then the church should should be reasonable about that and they should make appropriate accommodations. And sometimes that means canceling the service and, and helping the congregation understand that it's okay not to go out and to endanger yourself to get to the worship service. But I think sometimes we, we, we react to these predictive snow amounts, uh, which are almost always overblown and over-exaggerated. I think that's totally fair. So I'm just going to tag along with this and I'm going to smuggle in my second affirmation into our actual, the body of our actual conversation later on. And you'll know it's happening. Don't worry about that. So I'm totally with you because, so I have this theory, this hypothesis for a long time, maybe you and I have never talked about this, where like the internet error, the like X slash Twitter error has somehow made in addition to other forms of clickbait, weather now is its own type of clickbait. Yes. So it's like this station that can say like, it's winter cast 2024. Like keep your eye on the storm. Like that kind of thing where it gets people riled up. So we also, we're getting the same storm that you guys are anticipating. We're just like a day ahead here. And my wife happened to need to get gasoline yesterday in our car and she went to a grocery store that sells it. She had to go in to get something and she said it was like just crazy. And I'm with you. Like, so I just wonder about this. Like, like people have been alive for long enough. Like we're talking about adults here and (laughs) they've heard winter forecasts and they're like, just like you said, like it's always people getting like a small number of stable things, bread, milk, eggs, sometimes water. All I can think about is people are like, I'm not going to be able to leave my house for four days. I need to make all the French toast I've ever made in my entire life. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, because the fact of the matter is like, we, we got like a fairly like substantial amount of, of snow today. I am going to be able to go out tomorrow morning on yes. the Lord's day to go to church. Like no problem. Like yeah. even now we're starting to dig out. I can actually see the plow coming. And my wife is going to be like, I told you it's exactly about the time that I was going to hear the report and blah, blah, blah. So the, the bottom line is I think that there is like this sensationalization of weather yes. and like who can report it in like the most extreme way and get people rather to be like, you need to stay tuned to like our app, our station. We're going to give you the minute by minute forecast on like yeah. what you can expect. How is the commute going to be? Is there going to be ice or frozen rain? Or what are you going to do about the snow? So I'm totally with you. Like, I think sometimes we've even made this a form of like weird entertainment where we get like hyper excited yeah. about the snow that's coming. Yeah, there's a there's a video online. Uh, maybe I'll have to try to find it and and post it in the Telegram chat. There's a video online of like a newscaster who is doing the newscast from like a canoe or some sort of boat to make it look like they're in this flooded area that's so overly flooded that they actually have to sit in this boat. And you can see in the background people just walking through the water. <laughs> and like it's very clear that they're trying to set up a like set up a scene to make it look like they're in this terrible flooded out area. And don't get me wrong. Like over the summer, our region had really, really tremendous catastrophic, like actually catastrophic flooding. So I don't want to act as though there's never really destructive weather patterns, but there's something about snow, particularly snowstorms that I think New Englanders love to, it's almost like a badge of honor to act as though you've been snowed in at some point. And I've been in, in snowstorms where you're legitimately snowed, snowed in. I remember in seminary, so maybe like 2000, we were living in the apartment. So it must've been 2013 after your sister and I got married. 
um, we were in the apartments and I remember there was this huge snowstorm and it was like, honestly, it was like 26 inches of snow that fell over the course of like a day and a half. And I remember being outside for probably eight hours shoveling with all of my classmates. Of course, they canceled class, but we were outside shoveling just to be able to find where our cars were, not even to get them out, but to just find where our vehicles were. It was like hours and hours and hours of shoveling to try to just get to where they were. So I've been in those storms, but I also know that in my time living in New Hampshire, we've been here for let's see, it's 2024, almost 10 years now. Um, I've been in enough situations where the the, the weather uh, forecast is telling me basically like we're all going to die under a mountain of snow. And then like, it's nothing at all. I've just become really skeptical. So maybe I'm just not well prepared, but I've also seen that even in this snowstorm, like a couple days ago, it was like, oh, we're going to get 12 inches. And then it was, oh, we're going to get eight inches. And now the forecast is six and a half inches. And then it's like, oh, well, we're going to get four inches. And right. I feel like maybe we're going to get a dusting. It's been a weird winter so far because we went through all of December without any accumulation, which is very strange. But I don't know. I just think you're right. There is this sort of alarmism and and sensationalism around weather. And I think in New England, upper New England, um, I really think particularly around snow itself, it's like a badge of honor that we're going to get buried in snow that right. we have to pretend we're going to get buried in snow. Even right. Right. Probably not. right. Yeah. That that's fair. So again, this has now become the reform, blah, 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 weather cast. So let me just add two quick things. Uh, first is that I think I've said this before, but I also think New Englanders are, are, are a different breed and they also respect the fact that they can sometimes see through those kinds of things and say, listen, we're tough. We're going to go about our business. We're not unsafe. It's just that we're not willing to shut down our lives for a little bit of snow. We make accommodations. We move through that. So I think also that's exhibited in other types of weather. I remember many, many years ago now, my parents were visiting us in uh, Pennsylvania here where I live. And it was during the summer and my wife was helping with the youth group at our church and a giant rainstorm, giant thunderstorm with tornado warnings, just kind of more or less materialized. That's not uncommon for this part of the world. And I remember I was sitting with my mother on the couch in the place where we lived. And of course, the newscaster was waxing eloquent about all the threats and the dangers that were befalling the region. And it was continuing to like escalate in this kind of way where you're like, all right, easy guy. Like you just need to get easy for a second. But I remember like at some points, like, you know, the thunder was rolling outside. I remember like afterwards, my wife said like she was at the church with the youth group and they brought them into the boiler room, which is yeah. AJ's favorite place. They brought them into the boiler room because to protect them because they thought like surely a hurricane is going to come in like Job style, like take them to the four corners of the church <laughs> with great deference to Job. And, um, this weathercaster goes like, are you still watching this? Like you should be in your basement right now. And I remember, I'll never forget this. My mother turns to me and goes, I'm going to make some tea. Do you want anything right now? It's <laughs> <laughs> the difference. Like she was totally unlocked. I didn't care. Yeah. And it was nothing. So, you know, that, that kind of thing, you know, totally happens. The second thing is, uh, I appreciate that uh, because of the weather we're having today, like my pastor is like this perfect, like the pastor I have in my little congregation is this kind of like perfect combination of like enough admonition and enough empathy. So like yeah. he already sent out an email that was like, listen, we're doing church tomorrow. And he actually said like, he's also a big weather guy. He's like, the temperatures will be above freezing. 
the the basically the theme was you get your butts into yeah. the Lord's house yeah. tomorrow. It's gonna be totally fine. If for some reason you feel that it's, it's tremendously unsafe and you can't come, yeah, we're behind you. But otherwise, yeah. you should definitely be here. That's yeah. what we expect. And I love that kind of thing. He's basically saying, like, listen, the weather is what it is, but listen, you can get yourself here and it's gonna be okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we need to move on, right? We do. Yeah, this has been 35 minutes of of not theology on a theology podcast. So you should probably like, I don't know, read the Bible and do some theology. Yeah, it's all theology. Well, we're starting this series, which is like for us going back to like some roots that we've had, which is a little bit more exegetical. We're going to be yes. looking at what it means to take on, to put on this armor of God. Of course, we're referring to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which is a letter. It is direct instruction is at least prescriptive in their case of what it means to understand this armor of God. It's a beautiful metaphor. And this exhortation is, I think, like among the most favorite of Christians. If it's not your favorite, we're hoping that it's going to be among your favorites after you listen to us talk about this over the next several episodes. It's stirring. It's vivid. It reads like an inspiring call to battle. And really all we're going to talk about today is just, if you want to track with us, go to Ephesians 6. We're going to read just two verses starting in verse 10 and going through verse 12. So, of course, the goal is to talk about all these. You're going to find Paul enumerates all these pieces of armor. And I think you and I are going to get into all that good stuff, at least as we understand it. But let's start with the setup, because perhaps that's the most important thing. So this is Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. I'm going to be reading from the NASB, the 1995 version, because it's our podcast. So here's what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Man, Tony, we do have like another four hours, right? Because like, that's what it would actually take for us to do the prolegomena. But let's see what we can accomplish in like the next 23 minutes. Yeah. One of the things that I think happens with um, conversations about the so-called armor of God, this passage, we'll, we might even go back and do like a whole episode on, I'm not promising this, but like Isaiah 59. So this isn't a new concept in the New Testament. It's not like Paul pulls this out of it, out of thin air. Um, right. This is a theme that is present in the revelation of God's uh, word throughout the Old Testament and then also now in the New Testament. But one of the things we have to understand is that the 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 armor of God passage starts before we start like enumerating the different pieces of the armor. And we're going to talk about each like each element of the armor of God and what what the breastplate of righteousness is, we're going to talk about those things. But one of the things that I think sometimes becomes almost a distraction is trying to like parse out what each item is. And we miss that this passage starts in verse 10 and starts with establishing why it is we need this particular kind of armor versus like naturalistic means. Right. So the armor of God is sometimes portrayed as though it's like this way that we just um, we operate in the world, but it doesn't take into account that it's it's operating in the world 
in response to the fact that there's a spiritual war going on. And I know this is a Reformed Theology podcast, and so people are cessationists, and deliverance ministries are are frowned upon, and I get all that, and I agree with most of that. But we also have to remember that sometimes Reformed people can go too far in in um, our zeal to preserve all, or to, uh, let's say, to hedge against all of the dangers of like piercing the darkness spiritualism, if I can put it that way, right? I think I come from a background where like everybody read Frank Peretti's Piercing the Darkness, right? And we all sort of like thought that was basically the reality of things. If you haven't read it, it's a really great fictional novel. It's a really compelling story, but it's basically made up of out of whole cloth, right? It presents this spiritual battle in the spiritual world that just really isn't grounded in scripture, even though it seems to be. But in sometimes in our zeal to oppose that kind of abuse of scriptural themes or theological, I don't know, theological malfeasance, I don't know what you want to call it, we we go too far and we stop recognizing that there is actually a spiritual battle going on. And I think that's the main thing we need to take away from this passage is that we have to put on the whole armor of God in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's a real devil out there, and he really wants to oppose God's people, and we have to put on the armor of God in order to stand against those schemes. We can't stand against them in naturalistic means, right? We have to stand against them in spiritual means, which God provides. And that's really the core teaching of this passage and these different elements of the armor of God is how do we understand the different elements of salvation and what God provides for us, but it has to be in the context of sort of standing against this spiritual battle. And I think that's really, really key for us to get. It also means that when you become adopted as like a son or daughter, according to the family of God by way of Christ through the application of the spirit, it means, and I think that's what you're saying, that you automatically get a target. So your position becomes automatically defensive. Now, yes. I don't mean that in the sense that you're not going on the offensive by bringing light into dark places. Certainly, the scripture commands to do that, and Christ equips us with the power to undertake that mission. However, the position you're going to find yourself in, whether you do nothing at all, is that you must fight, you must stand the ground. So I'm totally with you, and that's why I read from the NASB. I think it's also in the NA and the NIV. But this idea that in verse 12, Paul refers to this warfare as our corporate struggle. So it's different from like this sense when we go to Jacob, where we have Israel strives with God. Here we have our struggle. We wrestle not, or we do not wrestle against like flesh and blood. But these are there are these equally real, to your point, spiritual influences that come and target us, that put the bullseye on our backs, that will not leave us alone. So if you forsake that and just say, well, that's like a kind of outmooted understanding of spirituality, then actually you're not undertaking a biblical worldview because we understand from what Paul is saying here that this is the way in which we're to understand the world. What I find interesting is when he kind of connotes this as a struggle, and he talks about wrestling. It's a wrestling match. And of course, like we're not talking about like, like I don't know what other countries have, like WWE, WWF, like in the old world. Like it's not like a conscripted battle. This wrestling match that he's talking about, like the implication of the words literally in Greek are one of a struggle that is like 
hand-to-hand or combat, like shoulder-to-shoulder, like touching, intimate, physical, like in the midst of. And so what I find interesting is that you're going to find him, like we're so comfortable with this idea of like, oh, yes, the armor of God, like I'm totally down with that. Let's suit up, let's get after it. But this idea of like, who puts on armor to wrestle? Yeah. You know, the only way that you put an armor to wrestle is if your natural disposition is one where you start of in the defense. That is, you need something to push against, to hold your ground, to, as the ESV says, withstand. And so it's not exactly like the complete set of orders that a soldier in a battle ranks would receive. That is to go forward. But we have to understand that first. It's like Peter says, like, listen, the devil is like a roaring lion looking who, whom he will devour. He's coming after you. Before you can advance in battle, you need to have the right equipment so that as you're wrestling hand to hand, and of course, like not only in Ephesus was like wrestling like a legit sport, of course, they're familiar. It wasn't, it wasn't like WWE, it wasn't play acting, it wasn't like some kind of grandiose form of entertainment. It was like actual struggle and combat. Yeah. But then beyond that, what I think Paul is trying to emphasize here is you need to understand that you are automatically drafted into the war the minute that God rescues you from the devil. That what the devil would like more than anything else is to defeat God by way of defeating those whom he loves. And so he'll do everything he can to undertake that mission. That mission doesn't go away just because like our theology wants to be more prone to understanding like what does it mean for us to understand that certain gifts have ceased. So in this way, he's saying this is like the best of all advice. You need to know that God has provided a suit of armor for you. You need to put that bad boy on and understand each of its components because the question isn't, will you find yourself in the ring, but you're already there? And are you equipped to grapple with the enemy, which by the way, isn't politics or the neighbor that dislikes you or your financial circumstances or even your own health. It's these spiritual principalities, which are just as real. And one might argue even more real because they were supersede and transcend all of the temporal and ephemeral things that we understand to be our struggles. These things are what we need to do battle against. God has provided a way for us to do that battle. Yeah. The other thing I think that's important to remember too is um, I think sometimes Christians read this as the armor of God is the armor that God gives us. But when we understand this kind of against the backdrop of Isaiah 59, which we'll we'll unpack a little bit as we get into the individual elements of the armor of God. It's not just the armor that God gives us, it's the armor that God himself wears. And yeah, it, right like that's obviously an accommodated picture. God doesn't need armor. He doesn't need like weapons. He doesn't he doesn't need to defend himself against the devil. He's not someone it's not as though the devil actually can overcome God unless he wears this armor. But in Isaiah 59, God himself wears elements of this armor in, in his battle against the, the forces of darkness. And so it's not, just, um, it's not just armor that God gives us, but it's also a status and a relationship and a, a, almost like a title and position that God gives us that we wear this armor. And so I think that's important to emphasize is we're wearing we're wearing God's armor, not just the armor that God gives us, but the armor that is God's armor itself. And th- so there's also this element of, um, you know, when we think about what Paul is teaching in Ephesians 1 and 2, that we're seated in the heavenly places with Christ, right? right. We are given the status and the position and the relationship with the Father 
that the Son has, He gives that to us as our inheritance when we are in union with Him. And this is this is right in line with that. So um, there are lots and lots of parallels. We won't get into them, them right now. But even like if you think about um, when David goes out to fight Goliath, what does Saul try to do? Saul tries to give him, uh, tries to give David Saul's armor. Well, that that wasn't just like I've got this nice protective armor that you could wear. It was a, a sort of like a statement that Saul was making that David was standing in as the representative of Saul in the battle. Right, right? that's part of it. And so when we go into this battle, there's an element that we go into this battle as God's warriors, right? We go into this battle as God's representatives. And in order to do that, we bear his armor and he's given us everything we need to be successful and victorious in that battle. And so, you know, we're coming up to the end of our time and we haven't, you know, we haven't dug into too much here, but I think one thing we have to remember and keep in the back of our minds as we go through the individual pieces, we talk about what each piece means and how it applies to the Christian life and all of that. What we have to remember is that we're going into this battle representing God, bearing his name, and that's why we bear his armor, right? We're not just going in... um, there's a scene in a movie, I don't know how old the movie is, but there was a movie called Troy that um, Brad Pitt was in. And there's this scene where, um, and it's it's a, it's a based on the Iliad and the, Od- the Odyssey. Um, the movie's called Troy. It's not a great movie, but um, Brad Pitt plays H- Achilles, right? It's this famous gladiator warrior from Greek mythology. And his... His nephew, or maybe it's his cousin, but I think it might be his cousin. He goes into battle and he wears Achilles' armor. And he goes into battle representing Achilles and representing his forces. And people think he's Achilles. And this backfires on him, right? But that's kind of the dynamic we have here, right? I think the, I think the character's name is Patrocles. He goes into armor as though he's Achilles. He leads Achilles' troops. He brings them into battle and all of Achilles' enemies think that they're fighting Achilles. There's an element of that in this passage that as we go into battle against the enemy, as we go into battle against the devil, because we represent God, because we bring God's armor into the battle, we're not just going in our own name and using this armor as a way to like push back against the forces of darkness, but we're doing it. We're actually bringing God into the battle. It's God who is doing the fighting. And that's kind of the symbolism here in this passage is it's not just, we're not just taking this armor on ourselves and then going into battle. It's God is actually going into battle before us. And that's why we bear his armor because he's the one who is doing battle. He's the one that is obtaining the victory. So we shouldn't think of this passage as though we are the ones wrestling against against spiritual forces, right? It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, over against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's not us that is wrestling against that. It's the Lord who is overcome. And unless we keep that in mind, we will very quickly we will very quickly go sideways with this. And I don't want us to go into this series thinking and sort of like unpacking the armor as though we we accomplish the victory 
with God's assistance, it really is God himself who is accomplishing the victory. And that's like the key reason that this analogy of the the armor of God is used is to reinforce that it's not us that is obtaining victory, but it is God himself. Yeah, the armor of God is the character of God. It is his holiness, meaning that it's not just he's exists like us in another plane, but he exists completely apart and otherworldly from us. And so in his own being, he does not need to put this on because it emanates from him. We need to put it on because he gives it to us because it's wholly unlike us. Right. And so he empowers this, us with it. He gives it to us. In other words, just like in every area of life, we are contingent beings. And the armor must be something that we add to ourselves because it is transcendent and outside of ourselves. But what we find is that this is everything that God and Christ and the Holy Spirit use to defeat the devil, even in those moments of temptation, which I think we talked about last week on the episode. It was the armor of Christ that in fact did that. And what was the armor? It was the character of God. So it is this holiness in some ways, like this is just a manifestation analogical language to help us understand what it means to be holy, to perceive, pursue piety, but the kind that isn't manifest in some kind of meritorious act, but instead is the gracious outworking and giving of this protective layer to God's children because a parent desires to protect his children. Yeah. It does everything that he or she can to make that happen. So, that's, I think I'm with you. Like that's a critical distinction. That's not like we need to go into the armory of God and like find our name tag and put right. on all the stuff. And if we don't, that now we're talking about here, like the God is going to equip the Christian with this. I think what Paul is encouraging the Ephesians here to do is to be mindful, to be aware. This is in fact, one, there is a battle happening that you're already in the ring. So just get used to it. The bell is already rung. And here you are, you blink and you find yourself getting punched in the face. The second thing is that you have already been equipped with this armor. So the putting on is like a foregone conclusion, isn't it? Like we anticipated it. Like, it's not just saying, would you please put it on? Like it's on the table. Like you just need to go get the helmets and put the breast pairs of lectures. No, it's like, this is already on. I'm going to presume that you're suited up and ready to go. And here's why you need these things. And then he's going to go on to explain and help you to understand, all of us to understand how God has made a way for us to have victory, not because we're going to be particularly proficient in the battle or like be able to use the equipment in a way that like shows our like prowess in fighting, but because Christ, our first brother, already using the equipment, right? In like a way to defeat sin, death, and hell has already done all these things. So he's like, come and get some if you want some. I mean, that would be my paraphrase of this. Is like, because the Christian is thoroughly equipped and the Christian who is mindful of that equipment and is aware that Christ has made a way is already the overcomer, is already the victory has the victory, not because of anything in and of themselves, not because of works done in righteousness, not because they have somehow elevated themselves to the place of deserving poor or come before Christ with hands empty, but because of God's great mercy. And that mercy is the gift of this armor, which is innate in God himself, but is given in a transcendent way to his children to make them ready and prepared for the battle at hand. So hopefully this is kind of more of just like a Paul to arms in the sense that like, yeah, you've already got it, loved ones. Like, let's get after it. Like, let's have a serious mindset Yeah, that the war is in fact happening and that we are thoroughly equipped for it. Yeah. And I think it is important to remember too, 
especially in this day and age where like Christian nationalism, theonomy, and all these different things are sort of circulating in reform circles, it's very easy for us to forget that those, um, the, the enemy that we face is not just the sins of other people. Like I think right. we, we very quickly think about, um, our political climate or those who might oppress us or those who might oppose the gospel. There's a spiritual reality that stands behind that, that we need to always keep in mind is the case. And I'm not one of those people that's like every single time that a politician opposes the gospel or a law is put in place that causes the gospel to be hindered or anything like that. I'm not always, I'm not always one of those people that's going to say that like there's a demon standing behind that politician who's signing that law, right? Right. But the the broader reality is that there is this spiritual reality. There is a spiritual opposition to the gospel that may not stand behind every individual uh, individual opposition to the gospel. Right. It's not as though, and this is like the um, the piercing the darkness model, right? Um, it, it, it's a fine book to read. It's entertaining. But in this book by Frank Peretti, Piercing the Darkness, there's actually like a scene where like there's a demon that's trying to cause a stroke for the one woman who's going to come and vote in the church vote. That's not probably the way that the spiritual battle actually works. We shouldn't suppose that like every time a politician or an administrator at your work or whatever, that every time something happens that isn't beneficial to the gospel or that is oppositional to the gospel, there's probably not like an individual demon standing behind that person who's causing that to happen. But we also shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there is a spiritual world and that that spiritual world contains forces that are in opposition to the gospel, broadly speaking, generally speaking. And that's where the real battle takes place. And that's why this, the armor that we need to don and the armor that we need to put on, the weapons that we need to take up, those things are spiritual in nature. So although the Christian nationalists want to bring about some sort of like Christian theocracy that is going to implement God's moral law as the law of the land, that may or may not be advisable, right? That's not really the subject of this conversation, but that's not the answer to the question. Right. A natural solution is not the answer to the question because the question is a spiritual question at its core. And so a spiritual question or a spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. And this passage in in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians is that spiritual solution. So we're going to get into the individual elements of the armor. We're going to talk about what each piece means and how it applies in the life of the Christian. Um, we're going to be drawing on resources from, from the Reformed tradition. Um, we're going to be drawing on exegetical resources. We're going to get into all of that. I know this has been like a very superficial sort of surface level look at this passage, but this really is just the prolegomena and the introduction to the whole series. So I'm excited to see where this goes, just like with the Ten Commandments series or the Lord's Prayer series, I think we were surprised at how practical those series end up ended up being and how much God used 
just reasoning through the Lord's Prayer or the Ten Commandments, how much God used just reasoning through those passages and applying them to our lives, I think that we're going to see the same thing happen in this. And I'm really excited to see that happen. And of course, there's nothing more practical than one person writing a letter to another group of people about tools, about how to use them and what they mean and how that may be effective in their lives. So I'm with you. I think we're going to find nothing but, again, excuse the pun, like all shoe leather or all breastplate or all helmet or all shotting yourselves with the feet of good news. Like you're going to find everywhere and in every way that this is about the things that you put on your person to make your life successful in the midst of opposition. That is exactly what theology is all about. It isn't like what I think you and I have tried to do throughout like all of our episodes is say theology isn't like some kind of romantic ideal that we just sit back and pontificate about or light a pipe and smoke in a smoking jacket and sit back in our armchairs and throw our heads back and laugh at all the probabilities and possibilities of the ideas. But instead, it's about when I'm at work at Monday morning, when ill befalls me on Tuesday, when my loved one is killed in an accident on Wednesday, or when on Thursday I find that my own health fails me, what is it about who I understand Christ to be that saves me, that rescues me in the temporal environment, that gives me strength for today and hope for tomorrow, in the words of the the hymnist. So I think that if you're looking for resources that you want to use to prepare yourself for this discussion and even go above and beyond, and this is where my backdoor sneaky affirmation comes in, here's the best resource in all the land that I can think of. It's a series of three books. These books are called Christian in Complete Armor. They're by William Gurnall. He is, or was rather, a Puritan writer. This is by far, to my mind, the best encapsulation, the best best exegesis of the armor of God that I have ever read. It will mess your life up in the best possible way. And it's old enough that you have all these great people who have spoken into it, who read it themselves. For instance, if you're wondering, what would somebody like John Newton have said if he read this? Oh, guess what? He read it. And here's what he said. (laughs) If I might read only one book besides the Bible, I would choose the Christian complete armor. Boom. Mic drop. You've been roasted. John Newton. So there's lots of great resources, but this is one if you're looking for something that is like that equal parts, as Tony just said, exegetical and applicable to your life. I, I don't think you're going to find anything better than this besides us. But honestly, William Grinnell is going to be better. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you just give us. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about Puritan resources is if you dig deep enough, you can probably find free versions of them online. So I would encourage you to go to Grinnell's work and just take a look at it because I haven't done a deep dive of it. I haven't read a ton of it in preparation for this, but it's definitely going to be on my reading list so as we work through this. So good. Um, but it, the Puritans are so practical and, and so focused on applying the word of God to real life, which is not probably not the reputation that most people would assign to them. And this work is just really, really good. It's just a super good treatment of the passages. It's exegetically faithful. It's pastorally sensitive. It's pastorally applicable. Yeah. So I'm excited to get into this series. I think we, you know, we're already past our time on this episode. And, and so we'll, Forgo all the normal announcements about Patreon and Telegram and all that stuff. You guys know where to find us if you want to contribute to the show or if you want to join us in the Telegram. But I'm just really excited to get into how it is that we we take this understanding that Paul has given us, um, his sort of like repackaging of Isaiah 59 and, and various elements of different parts of the, the Old Testament, 
how do we actually take this and apply it to our lives, especially right. as we apply it to our lives in the 20, 21st century, 22nd, 21st century? 21st. I get so confused. I'm a history major and I still cannot figure out what century we're in. But how do we apply it to our lives in this current day and age? Not just like theoretically, but actually practically. How do we look at what's going on in our world? How do we look at the spiritual forces that are opposing us? And how does each element of the armor of God help us in that battle? That's what I'm really stoked about for this series. Yeah, good discussion ahead. And of course, you don't have to wait for us. You can just go hang out, do some meditating in Ephesians 6. But we'll meet you there next week, right? It's true. And until we meet you there next week, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. What if I'm born?